The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory be to God on high and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's how it ought to be. All the glory belongs to God on high. He is the one true God who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who sustains and preserves all things, who creates each day, who gives you life and breath. Without him, there is nothing With him, there is life. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's a remarkable thing that God uses his creativity and power and might to take care of us and all his creation. So it makes sense that the glory belongs to God on high. Sinners are not so good with glory. Where God naturally has it, sinners crave it and want it for themselves. Not only that, but they want glory for themselves without regard for others 
often at the expense of others. This desire for glory is inside of you because you want more and you want better. There's the material stuff, of course. You want more things because more is better and because more makes you better than people who have less. There's wealth and status and power because it's tough to think you're glorious if you're working for other people who have more than you. You want to look better, think better, crack better jokes. You want to do things your way, even if you don't have any sort of a good reason why, just that you're tired of other people or circumstances telling you what to do. You want your kids to be better than other kids because that reflects on you and because you start living through your kids as you realize your own limitations. I'm not trying to accuse you as much as describe you. It's just how you naturally think, even if it's just for a second or two before you realize it's a bad idea and you repent. But all that pride and greed and lust and covetousness and vanity and disrespect that's bouncing around your mind, it's a desire for glory for yourself. In the big picture... It's the same old original temptation of wanting to be like God. As I mentioned before, none of this is any good. As sinners try to get glory for themselves, they're busy taking it away from others who then push back or try to take it away from others still. If everyone is pushing and glory grabbing, there's not going to be a lot of peace. There's not going to be a lot of goodwill. There is going to be a lot of strife and ill will. You end up with a world of warring nations, angry citizens, tense families, silly misunderstandings, dead serious disagreements, and lots and lots of lonely individuals. After all, if you're looking for glory for yourself, you're automatically distancing yourself from those around you. Sinners are bad with glory, and that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that their ideas of glory are far from what actual glory is. This wanting to be like God thing somehow makes sense to sinners in the dark. But if you were to come face to face with God in his glory, you'd be dust and ashes in an instant because you've earned his wrath. As it is, dwelling in darkness, you're falling apart in body and mind and soul. So whatever you have is slipping away. What a mess, and a mess beyond your ability to fix. If I were in God's shoes, I'd seriously think about ditching this creation and this glory-grubbing bunch of sinners and leave them to their own devices and destruction. This, of course, only demonstrates my own selfishness and that I consider myself too glorious to be bothered with others. God, on the other hand, doesn't forsake sinners. He draws near. He draws near to set things right by bearing the wrong away. So when Jesus comes, he doesn't come gloriously, at least not the way that you and I think of glory. It's kind of funny if you think about it, but Jesus engineers his birth in Bethlehem by having his mom and stepdad submit to paying taxes to the current earthly ruler where you would think that the Son of God could probably get a waiver for his mom. There's no room in the inn when they arrive, and so his first bed is a manger, a food dish for livestock. That's a humble beginning for the Son of God in human flesh. 
It's hardly glorious. And his life will be a humble one, right? He'll grow up in backwater Nazareth. He'll have a brief three-year career as a traveling rabbi before he's crucified by Roman authorities at the behest of his own people. Aside from a few moments like the brief transfiguration that only three of his disciples see, Jesus' life and Jesus' death appear anything but glorious. Now, it's true that it doesn't look glorious at all, but that's why you keep in mind the angels' chorus, Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It may not look like it, but as the angels assure you, God is being glorious in Bethlehem. It's just that you and I are so prone to gather transient glory to ourselves that we don't even recognize the glory of God when it's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. God is being glorious in Bethlehem because, along with being holy and omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and eternal, it is the glory of God to serve and to save. That baby in the manger is glorious because that baby is Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, going about the work of saving. How does he do it? He brings peace and goodwill to men. With his birth, there is finally one on earth who has a goodwill, who naturally loves God and seeks to keep his commandments, who doesn't try to fool himself into thinking that trying hard is good enough or that God must approve of whatever he wants to do. Instead, this one sincerely prays to his father, not my will, but yours be done. You cannot marvel enough at what it means that he has a good will. You think that a good will means thoughts like, I'm getting impatient, so I'll be more patient, or I'm getting angry, but I'm not going to give in, or I'm starting to lust, so I'll look away. But no, a good will means never getting impatient or angry or lustful in the first place. As hard as you must work at being patient, Jesus has such a good will that he would have to work harder at being impatient, and in fact, he couldn't do it. He's sinless. A good will is not one where generally the good overcomes the bad, but it is where there is no bad to be overcome. Jesus brings a good will to man, his good will that desires to do the will of his Father, even when his Father's will is that Jesus also bring peace. Now that doesn't sound like such a bad job, bringing peace, But you know that in God's plan, bringing peace is far harder than just quelling strife because it means bearing the cause of strife away so that it is no more. The only way to take away sin and its wages is to bear all of that to a cross and then to a grave. Not for long, though. Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, and what are the first words that the risen, glorious, good-willed Savior speaks to his disciples in the locked room? He says, Peace, peace be with you. And that's not just for those disciples in the locked room. Remember what else the shepherds hear from the angel that night. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this Savior is not just for the high and mighty, but the poor and lowly. The angels sing to shepherds. We'll add to that, even though the shepherds get romanticized as pious and noble, that they've got sinful, glory-seeking ill will from which they need to be saved too. And the angel says to them, Unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Just as the angel would say to you tonight, Unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Peer into that manger, and there you find your Savior, Christ the Lord in human flesh, wrapped in swaddling claws. All your ill will, your desire for glory, and the strife that this has brought about, That baby has grown up, borne all your sins and infirmities to the cross, and he's destroyed their power there. He set you free from sin and death. Because the eternal God is born of Mary, now you're going to live eternally. That's why you rejoice when you hear the angels saying, Glory be to God on high and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's why you'll echo the angels and sing those words tomorrow morning in the divine service. Because the same Savior is present with that same body and blood, crucified and risen again to give you life, to give you peace, to give you his goodwill. The Lord still comes humbly, as he did in Bethlehem, so now he comes humbly in bread and wine. Remember, although holy and omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and eternal, it is the glory of God to serve and to save. He is still at work to save you. He still visits to give you life and salvation. While all the glory is His, reflect that glory as you can. You are not omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent, but for Jesus' sake, you are now forgiven and you now have eternal life. You're set free from ill will, so act with a good will towards those around you. You're forgiven for the sins that left you in enmity towards God, so live in peace with and spread his peace to those around you. Follow in the footsteps of the shepherds once they'd seen the baby. And so you follow in the footsteps of Christ. Those footsteps go from birth to death and grave and eventually heaven. And unless the Lord first returns, that is your journey too. But heaven is your destination. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In the name of Jesus, amen.